all the facts and information that he doesn't agree with, he laughs at. That's unacceptable. Uh, let's go to Leonard. Sorry, you could. We have a. Uh, it's 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 top of Is the hour. Is Roman up? And Roman we have Roman up. So so apologies, Leonard. We'll we'll, we'll revert back to this in, in a little while, if that's okay. You you understand? Uh, yes, thank but, you. But very very welcome, uh, Roman Kachanov, uh, firefighter, fire chief from Kharkiv. Hello. I'm here, and we just came back from fire. Um, yeah, to, uh, today we have a very special guest, Roman Kachalov. He's the fire chief of Clement Fire Station in Kharkov, and he's also the major of the Civil Defense Service. Um, well, he is a person who risks his own life to save others every day. And uh, when Russian forces launched missile attacks in Kharkov, Roman and his team are uh, one of the first officials to reach the scene. And also, Roman was featured as a hero of Kharkiv in Kate Blanchett's movie about the Russian assault on Kharkiv. And um, I know we all watched that movie, and we all had, had tears in our eyes. Um, at least I had. Roman, thank you so much for agreeing to join us today. It is our honor to have you as a guest. How are you doing today? Uh, thank you so much for so warm words. <laughs> and you make me kind of shy to listen to all this because like everybody's heroes here and I suppose because it just was a story about me and about my life here with, this, with my wife and daughter with this fire station so nothing special as I think but we are good we are good kind of tired I kind of exhausted mentally and physically but everything is fine everything is okay every day is shelling every day is bombing every day we're going after shelling after rocket hits is a different building. Usually, they trying to hit industrial area, or schools, or kind of public places like theaters. I don't know, like why they're doing it. And almost every day, we are going to the calls like this. But I'm fine. Thank you very much. And I have here uh, right now four Americans from Colorado State, state, and uh, they are. We just came back from the fire. Uh, they hit industrial area where where is the buses uh, where is the some some owner uh, keeping a lot of buses and trucks so he has a lot of been damaged damaged but uh, for Americans who is living here and used to help us in the different uh, situations um, prepared first time in my life I eat Mexican food it's really delicious and they just prepared us fajitos and tacos it was amazing I just have two of these and it's really great as, uh, as long as you don't run to the border roman and stay where you are you're good uh listen thank you welcome we're marie report that's a taco bell commercial from the states run to the border uh <laughs> so i want to i want to let you know we actually have a friend of the show who's an expert on urban ops and he's from colorado maybe he'll come up and chat i want to welcome you to maria report we've been broadcasting 24 hours a day seven days a week for more than six months uh we're telling or helping tell ukraine story to the world we have people such as yourself ukrainian soldiers politicians journalists um women's rights activists you name it we have them here our goal is to stop russian misinformation and propaganda we want to share with the world and those who are unsure what's going on uh, your voices uh, your voice and the voice of your country men and women are supremely important to us and we want this to be an open space a safe space for you to talk about the things that are important to you and i want to thank victoria who is our superstar talent uh, acqui acqui acquisitions manager uh, for bringing you so we do thank you i did see your pbs 
um, the documentary there. You were great. I, I think I want to get a picture with you and, and, and all of us and the team in front of a fire, st- in front of a fire truck sitting on chairs like you were laid back. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Mm-hmm. So um, anyways, I don't know, Victoria, did you want to start off or uh, there were some questions, but I, I'd love for you to interview our, our friend Roman. Well, I think Domin was going to do that, but I can ask uh, some questions. No, either, either, either way, either way, either that way, works great. Either, either way, we'll get Domin to start. I have to do family stuff, Roman, so I'm not going to be able to be here, but you'll, you'll accept my apologies. I would like to ask our audience, uh, please do follow Firefighter UA. Fo- follow uh, Roman's uh, Twitter. Uh, let Show him the, the love from the Maria Report. Uh, we want to... We want his perspective shared with the world. And if you, you've got a small account, 39 followers, let's change that. Uh, please do uh, retweet him and let, let everyone know. We're at here at the Marie Report talking to Roman, a uh, very important uh, fire uh, fighter from Kharkiv who's on the front line of Russian aggression for six months doing the job. I think he lives in the firehouse with his wife and his daughter. God bless him. I hope you're safe, Roman. And uh, on that note, I'll pass it off to Doman and thank you for being here. Okay, okay. Can, can I say yes, something? Please, please do. Yes, please. <laughs> All right. So, uh, okay. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate what are you doing. And unfortunately, I don't have so much time to listen to you all this, all this time. But I see, like, you're doing a really great job. Like, always streaming, like, almost 24-7, describing all this. is really great because the Russian propaganda really kind of messy. I don't know how, how stupid you, ne- you need to be to believe in all this. You shouldn't probably have any critical thinking. And anyway, you, okay, you, you know all what I'm trying to say. And also about some kind of misunderstanding. My wife finally, this, I'm kind of pushed to d- decide my wife to leave the country with the daughter. So they already live in two, something about two months, they already live in in the Germany, in in Nuremberg area, kind of an hour from Nuremberg, and they're doing great, doing good. They very, they have very comfortable conditions of living, and I'm glad they're not here, because I would be probably very, um, can't remember the word. I I, I would probably worry. very worry worry about them, right? So right now with my family, everything is fine, everything is great. The only problem we are missing each other very much, but I hope. Maybe we we can see each other in Lviv. Maybe they'll go there while the uh, my my girl have a holidays at the school there. So maybe we'll meet each other. It will be awesome and wonderful. But I also just want to thank you again, and because I really appreciate what you're doing. It's really important. It's really good and great job. Thank you, Roman. Let's turn our attention to you. And um, can can you walk us through the first night of the invasion? Were you pre- were you preparing at the fire station for the possibility of an invasion? Did you expect an invasion at the fire station as a part of your job? And were you expecting it in your private life? And, and how did the first night and the first morning work out for you? I got it. I got it. Okay. Uh, so the first morning it was uh, very, uh, very exciting, like in the very bad way of it. I mean, we had some kind of preparation but it wasn't like everybody really thought that it will happen it's not like it's you know you know like everything was very 
everybody was worried. I mean, even a lot of uh, councils like uh, United States Council, all, all countries try to uh, take away their citizens to, to the, the, out of Ukraine. It was kind of like messy here, but uh, our channels, our news, our media, you know, like all, no, also told about it, but even I'm telling you, like all citizens here in Ukraine never could believe that it can happen because this is you know, Russians, Belarus people, Russians, Ukrainian fight together 75 years ago against Nazi and Ukraine being the almost uh, Ukraine losses was the most most of it of, of its parts millions of, of 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 living people was died during the Second World War and for a lot of people who is older than me it was just impossible to believe possible to to understand that Russia can attack Ukraine uh, we yeah we seen it in two in in, in 2014 it, it could happen but you know it was kind of I don't know how to explain it to you. For us, it was a war, but for some people, thought it's kind of political situation or something like that. For me, I understood it's a war, but it was kind of local in Donetsk and Lugansk. But nobody could even ever see that some person, some president in the world, can be so dumb and so stupid and so I don't know egoistic or maniac. So he will start real war in the like real civil world. <laughs> and the rockets on these old cities just in one time, like Hitler, like Hitler done, like without any uh, announcement of the war, without anything, just the same like Hitler in 4 a.m. But I wake, I okay, the first morning, I before the first morning in the evening, there was not no panic, nothing at all. Like I mean, I I came to the uh, store, I, I came to the supermarket and I've been talking to my wife and she said, hey, maybe we need to buy some, I don't know, canned food or something, I don't know, like dry food, so be prepared. I said, hey, it possibly cannot be happened. But I said, hey, you've been prepared at work. Prepared at work, it was like kind of document to prepare. What will we do if something like that? So we, we just refreshed some of our old documents, that's all. There wasn't preparation by food, by water, by medicals, uh, medicine, by tourniquets, by nothing like that. So it was just normal, regular day before the war. But I did, yeah, it just was a little bit more paperwork with refreshing or some old documents. But the morning, uh, like 5 a.m., I'm just waking up because I hear very big, you know, like, you know, like thunder, but much more louder. And of course, first seconds I thought maybe it's really kind of storm and like kind of like this. And then we are we are realizing you you see the flashlights somewhere far away from. I'm living in the uh, area in the some area in the city which uh, some kind of 20 kilometers from the front line when when the first hit was. So it was really like I know I I, I wasn't scared probably I was I was very. It's 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 very hard to explain the emotions for sure. My wife was really scared, and uh, daughter daughter been sleeping like nothing happened. But my wife woke up and was like, "Shit, is it really happened? Is it really like how could it be? How could it be like? Is it really? Yeah, it's really." But you no, know, my wife is already tough because I'm working in the fire station for 15 years already. She understands a lot. She understands I need to go, so I di didn't. I even didn't wait for the call from the uh, dispatch. So I just, oh shit, sorry. I just go to the, no, I just take a coffee and go to the fire station. Do you hear me? 
Okay, okay, good, 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 because I thought maybe I just talking to the noise. Uh, so I walk out of the building, of my apartment building, going and I see already. So we, 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 we cannot drink water from the tap. We usually use it for the like clean and shower and something like that. So we have special uh, auto machines, like, you know, like ATM, but it gives you not money, but water, you know, like. You put money inside and it gives you water because it's uh, on no, like like this way we are drinking normal fresh and wonderful like water right? not from the tap so and that's why a lot of people how, how do you call this water like i can't remember portable water right if you can portable? drink that's potable water yeah portable. yeah 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 all right so you know what i mean like and usually it's like I know in the five a.m. we will see not nobody there. Usually, like people start go to work at seven a.m. and like in the on the when they came back at uh, six p.m. there could be some line from two or three people trying to get some water to the house, like five, you know, like a, a gallon, four gallons, like something like that. But five a.m. it's already a line, like thirty people in line to the this water automat. Then I go in all ATM machines line for 20, 30 people. We, we got also cigarette kiosks, you know, like little trade spots of the cigarettes, you know, tobacco. So they also like line there, like, oh, oh my God, what is going on? Like, and a lot of people I just see probably get some clothes, some stuff in the backpacks and run into the cars and trying to leave the city because, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, just trying to imagine that you've been like United States and Canada, right? Yeah, they're friends, they're okay, everything is fine. And then some situation happened, everything, everybody started to start to worry. And then like in five years, Canada decided to put some rockets on the each city in the United States. It will be you know, like, you, you understand like how I'm feeling. It was really like kind of impossible to believe. And people really couldn't understand what to do. It was not, not kind of panic, it was like kind of, silence and somebody doing something everybody going or running doing but all tot in totally silence you only hear uh, bombs and rockets which hit somewhere like 10 kilometers or 15 kilometers out of of you of course people who been just nearby I, I don't know what, how people how people who lived just nearby the place of the shelling and nearby all this rocket hits probably there was real panic and everything like that but the first morning yeah i just went through to my fire stations it take me 15 minutes i'm just walk to my fire station from the apartment and in the fire station we start to prepare something we start to wait the orders of course it was announced like all firefighters need to be in the fire station so all firefighters came to the fire station then we we wait for some orders but now we already used to all this here Roman, sorry, uh, I want to go back to that first day as again, as you said, we, we were actually in the first uh, couple weeks of the war, we had a, uh, a lady named Marina who uh, was being shelled quite uh, violently in her neighborhood. Mm. We could hear the bombs. It was it was quite intense. It was one of the, the craziest uh, interviews or chats we've had. And mm. what she did. What she did uh, was so shocking and incredible to us. She spoke to us as power was going out and she said that under this enormous Russian bombardment to her amazement, <laughs> the firefighters of Kharkiv and the electrical workers and the city workers were out in the middle of the roads, fixing telephone and hydro lines 
and acting yeah. like nothing was going on. And honestly, Roman, everyone in the space, at that time we had about 20,000 people listening. Everyone was just in awe. The, the people of, you know, the, the servicemen and women, the city workers, the firefighters in Kharkiv were literally doing their job as if there wasn't a Russian invasion. When we heard you were coming, we were so shocked because we're like, oh my God, this, you were probably one of those people. Can you, can you like, you know, not to, I'm not trying to inflate your ego here, but you're kind of a superstar in our eyes. Like a lot of people, you know, there, there are people in Canada, I'm not, not just, not to make fun of our, our electrical workers, but if there's a big storm, they might not come out because, you know, it's too dangerous. What is, <laughs> what's going on in you guys' mind? How, how did you guys do this? Did you recognize what you're doing was so heroic, was so important for Ukraine? Or were you just, did you look at it as another day at the office? Okay, I try to explain. Uh, first week was really scary even for us. So, you know, you know, like we used to go to fires, used to do different kind of job, and we usually never nervous. You can nervous if you 100% certain and sure that there are some people in the firing house or the kids, which is worse. Yeah, your heart starts beating faster and trying to do everything is in in, in very good way, but by the shelling, you I don't understand. So we we because first week we went for the fires after shelling, and while we've been extinguishing fires, it was shelling again. But uh, it, we was very lucky because Russian don't really good have not really have not really good accuracy with the shit with the hit. So we are extinguishing the place which been hit it, and then which been hit and just another shelling coming in in five minutes like somewhere like 50 meters away, you know, like 50 yards away or like 100 yards away. It's, it's scary. You know, we, we've been scared, but we continue to do our job because we understand. We, yeah, we, we take the cover. We try to find the place to take the cover. So we, we're hearing that no shelling anymore and we continue to do our job because, yeah, we understand we need to do. We, we cannot leave. We just came here to done this job because there's still a lot of, uh, stuff we need to save a lot of people need to help because actually it was first week it was really awful because not a lot of people was prepared not a lot of people lived the lived the Kharkiv so like first calls was like you go in you you used to go to one apartment fire or one house fire and then you go after shelling and immediately there is a fire in the three different buildings in six different apartments, one apartment on the 14th floor, another on 40, on the 12th floor, another one on the sixth floor. You're trying to understand which apartment you need to choose because you got only three trucks for doing it, and also some unconscious people lying down on the ground, and you and you trying to understand what who of them you need to save first. And some of them don't have legs, don't have arms. Some kids unconscious, so it's. It's really was big madness, but I don't know. After two weeks of all this madness, we kind of used to it. So we, I know I, I'm, I'm not trying to be some kind of like oh I'm superhero or something, but we really already not not afraid of any of it. Just you, you, you going like it's like we used to in the peacetime, you know. It, we know like you're really used to all this mess. It's, yeah, it's right now, but but, but first two weeks. But I mean, first two weeks was really, we've, we've been scared, but we just go, you know, like you, you have no choice. It's your grant, it's your land, it's your people, it's your job. So 
no, probably you took some responsibility, not some, you took responsibility when you decided to be a firefighter, when you decided to, to, to go on this job. And now when your country needs you, when everybody needs you, when the people need you, children need you, everybody needs you. So it's just probably this pressure, this responsibility, don't let your brain go panic or something like that and you're just doing your stuff. Hello? Oh, that was very impressive. Thank you. And Roman? Hmm. So, Roman, can you give us a little bit of context? What was the worst fire that you had to attend to before the war? Was there maybe like a gas line explosion in a, in a block of apartments or anything like that? What was the worst thing that you had to do before? And, and just, how, you know, how, how much worse were the ones since then? Okay, no, worst, I don't know, like for me, worst is always when the kids dead, like, no, when the people dead, no, I mean, adults, it's not so emotional like kids. When you see the dead kid, which almost burned out because somebody didn't call us in the in the right time, because some people just thinking that, oh, somebody probably already called 911, so probably everybody already going here, and it was one fire when everybody thought that somebody had make a call, but nobody made a call, just our uh, one of our officers from the department just came through the the fire. He seen the fire. He called to the dispatch. He said, "Do you have any calls from this address?" They, no, no, we don't have. Fuck, just call. Sorry for the bad word. He said, "Oh my God, just call call here like four or five trucks." And we came there, and in this apartment, we find out that well, two kids was just born out, and with their family, when this moms and dad, their moms and dad was. At the kitchen, they've been not, not burned out, but they've been uh, died from the smoke. And the kids done something bad with a probably uh, Christmas tree. So this was really awful. This was horrible situation. And this was the worst what I've seen. I've been crying after this. I've been crying after we came back to the fire station. It was very emotional stuff. But this is was the worst. But uh, comparing to what you're asking, because some fires really complicated when there's some industrial area when there's a big plant or a big factory or a big gas station or a big station which uh, stuck a lot of oil and gas, propane and petrol, you know. It was complicated but not worse because almost nobody dead there or some yeah, some workers dead, adults, but it's we are already used to it. It's part of our job. We understand somebody can be dead, but with the kids, it's, it's fucking awful. But... Uh, but uh, at the war, there was two fires I remember very good and very much. The first fire it was the first week when we go on the North Saltivka. I mean, North Saltivka, it's uh, probably like 15 miles from my fire station. It's not my area of response. We used to respond like three miles radius, you know, around our fire station. But because of it was a lot of shelling, we, we have 22 fire stations fire station in the Kharkiv, but all fire stations already was on the different calls in the different parts of the city because it was very hard to or, to, or, no, to cooperate with everybody. So the central dispatch always sending the nearest fire station to the call. And that happened that we've been in my station. And again, another shelling was on the north south of Kai. It was Heroic Pratsi. 47G, I still remember this address, or yeah, or, and B, it was 
47G, 47B, 47V. It was uh, another a street I can't remember, but it was like six apartments on fire after the shelling. And we just came and you just see people on the streets lying down without some, a lot of them, of them unconscious. Some of them are screaming, some girl crying and to, to trying to make her mom stand up. And we don't understand if she's dead or not. A lot of, you know, just, you see like some like legs and hands all over the place and shit, it was really messy. And you can understand like what you need to do. Like, no, we, we had, we have only three trucks and like 15 firefighters on the truck. So we, and we also have a burning fires. We try to do our best, our, our best. Like we had only like, I know, like 10 tourniquets. So we just put tourniquets on the people which have no uh, hands or legs. And then just went to fire and call a lot of ambulances. Ambulances also was there operating. And also when we went to the apartments, we found a lot of just burned bodies and just, just, or something which left from the bodies. And like, it was very hard. It was really worst fire probably seen. And another worst fire was at the Barabashova market when we go there in the daytime. And there was, uh, after the shelling, I mean, Barbashov market, I don't know, just try imagine the city which contain, I don't know, like probably 150,000 people inside. So it's like a city, but it's all like trade spots. It's like they traded everything, like clothes, different stuff, like for fishing, for housekeeping, for the repairments, for everything. So on this market, you can find everything. And they hit it. And you, 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 you can imagine how fast the fire spread in there. So there was uh, almost more than half of the city of the firefighters been on this fire. And like after probably an hour, maybe two hours after they started, they they start to shell in again. And one of the firefighters been injured in the shoulder. He almost lost his uh, arm and another one been hit in the, in his chest, but he didn't have the armor. I mean, first, weeks we right now we have almost everything we need but still have needs some but in the first three weeks we didn't not all of us has this armor this vest or something like that so the shrapnel hit him in the chest we put him on the truck it is not not we my my co-workers it's not in my my fire station it was a fifth fire station his name was alexander so he took alexander tried to put him on the truck, on the fire truck to put him to the hospital, but he died on the halfway, halfway to the hospital. You, you highlighted that the shelling started again after you were already there attending to the fire for a while, Roman. Yeah. Um, how often does that happen? How big a threat has it been for you? Um, you know, this, this reshelling, the second wave of shelling on the same targets as you're already mm-hmm. attending. Usually it was first four months. Last two months it's already not so often. Sometimes it happened, but it's like not so close. It's usually like 100 meters, 200 meters, and usually it happens when we working nearby the front line. Because sometimes I'm telling you when not enough of the fire trucks they can send my station there, and we working there. So usually when we working nearby the front line, nearby Cirkuni or Ruska Lazovaya, this is cities in the Kharkiv region, very close to the city edge. 
So, no, like, I know, five kilometers out of the circle circle road around the city. So, when we work in there, it's usually all, all the time shelling because they are trying to hear our radio stations or they are trying to hit where is the smoke because they know we are there. But in the city, last two months, if, when you go to the fire, maybe it was for last two months, maybe five times when they shell, when they started shelling the second time when we were, we were there. 100%. Wow, that's uh, very impactful. Um, what do you, can you speak to, we're going to go to some questions, Roman, in a second. I'm able to stick around, actually, um, thankfully. Uh, what do you see the tempo is now? Or, or do you feel that Ukrainian military has a good grasp of the situation, therefore you can operate with a bit more freedom as a firefighter? Um, is the morale high in your brigade? Uh, how do how do you feel overall, and what's the what's the morale of your uh, your your troops, your firefighters? Right. About morale, that's what I can have one hundred percent sure. That morale is really high. We all believe in the victory. We all understand that the Russian is a real terrorist, and the Putin is a terrorist. We understand it's all wrong, and this it's twenty first century. It's a very wrong time to start some war like this. We should find out the way to help to, to save our planet and not start the new world and spend a lot of billions of money and leave and leaving people on this and about the moral yeah, it's it's really high everybody understands that we probably not probably we will win we it will be peace and russia after this probably will be suffer and whole citizens will be suffer only because of one madman and his friends so the moral is high but i'm not flying so high to see the whole picture uh, I just see news, and yeah, I see that uh, some countries help really much. I know the United States helps really a lot. Europe helps, everybody helps. So, yeah, some Germany can help a lot, but also we also understand they cannot send a lot of military stuff here because they understand that Russia can do any, any stuff. So uh, the countries who is helping us with weapons and the stuff they understand they also need to keep something for themselves because everything can be happen and i would just want to say about moral that i want to thank you really much the project joint guardian it's eric from the san diego yeah probably san diego uh, he has created this project when he's seen this action in ukraine and uh, the firefighters, professional firefighters all over the world join his uh, little project on the Facebook. The project is little, but his help is really huge. I mean, the firefighters from Germany, from Australia, from UK, from from uh, United States uh, vote for coming here in Ukraine. They've been here already two times. And I'm telling you, it's really increased morale of people here when some foreigners even they, the first time there was even no, I mean, there wasn't Ukrainian with them. The second one, the second time was Oleg Klepach and Mikhail was, with, you know, they, they've been, they got roots in Ukraine and they speak Ukrainian and Russian as well. And they are citizens of United States and they work in the fire station. And it really helps people to, you know, here in the fire station in, in Ukrainian city to understand that we are not alone. The other countries also help us. They understand that the people which never probably knew what is Ukraine and where is it when they seen what's happening, what's going on, just decided to uh, to sacrifice their time, their money, to sacrifice their security and come here and help. It's really 
were, uh, it's, it's really a lot. Also, uh, there was wonderful person, Jerzy. Jerzy, he's a, from Poland. Uh, we call him like Hedgehog, no, because it's Jerzy sounds like Hedgehog in, in Russian, Ukrainian, like Jerzy. So he was very funny guy. He's has a family also in Poland. And he is uh, working with a uh, very huge foundation in Poland. He already bought the two, uh, two brand new fire trucks for my fire station. He bought a lot of equipment. He bought uh, probably, not probably, he bought the first aid, first aid kit for each of my firefighters. So we got everything we need, like tourniquets and even extra for the other people. Each of my firefighters right now has a first aid kit and two extra tourniquets. So we can help not only to ourselves, but also to the citizens if we need. And uh, like, I mean, his help is really a lot. It's like Zedo Pomoha from Poland. And also when he been living here with me for two months and like people here see like, oh my God, like like some guy from Poland lives in the fire station for, with us two months. I give him the fire gear. I give him fire clothes, fire gloves. I give him the helmet. So he came with us to all fires trying to made a video of everything, also published it, also to try and to ruin the Russian propaganda and all like all all like this. And also this project, Joint Guardian, will come here probably in, in one week, maybe in two weeks. And they will come here again to help in Kharkiv and they will be living in my fire station. I agreed all this with my chiefs. They will be living in my fire station and they will be helping us also very much. I mean, all of these help, all of these really increase moral and like stuff so people see and like my firefighters see we're not alone everybody trying to help and even when americans here and uh, there was canadian guy as well rick rick Pshebish, he has a uh, polish roots uh, also there was two guys from germany who also been living in my fire station uh, and right now four four guys from colorado they're from some volunteer organization uh, which you know they used to go after different disaster like i you know earthquake or like tsunami or something like this so they came here and it was also a big challenge they helped us to extract bodies from the collapsed buildings and you know, dead bodies and also rescue some people and also they've been on the north saltivka which close to front line helped up to make some buildings that was ruined not but not for 100 percent to make them safer so some big big concrete plates we need to cut so it will uh, fall down and it, it will be not doing accidentally and kill somebody so people see in here all of it so we go into the some uh, for lunch it, it, it's also some cafe restaurants are working and we go in there and people see like america's a lot of foreigners here trying to help us means a lot for everyone here roman early on um, after the invasion started did you have any role in also persuading people to evacuate especially people in buildings you know to the north of the city and the, the northeast of the city towards the Russian border that were more exposed to shelling than elsewhere um was, did you you know in in encounters with people was there any hesitancy to leave their apartments to go to the underground to the subway or to or to leave the city or did you just not have any role in the in you know, trying to get people to evacuate? Uh, I didn't have any role to evacuate people because I have a role here as a fire chief and I have a lot of hats on my head every day, I'm telling you. But I have also a real nuclear shelter from the Cold War. Uh, so it's in my 
minus two floor, I have a shelter, real nuclear shelter, which can contain 15 people from my fire station, like under the shift. So we put their water, food, some beds, mattresses, like pillows. It have like a secondary exit, like a tunnel, like 50, 50 meters, 50 yards out of the fire station. You can go out if it will be collapsed. So first three weeks, maybe probably first month, uh, people who've been around, who've been living around my fire station, came to my station, station and been living in the my shelter in the basement in the shelter. So it was like kind of you know, every day it was 20 firefighters on the shift and uh, probably something about 50, 50, 50 adults and kind of 10 children. And like two children was you know, like really young, like before one one year old. So yeah, we, we've been like trying to make everything much as much comfortable as we can for them, uh, but also going on fires. And you also moved in your uh, wife and daughter into the fire station. That's a very touching part of the documentary as well. Uh, yeah. How did, can, can you tell us a little bit more about how that went and how you know having them live in the fire station went? And were there any other wives and kids uh, with you as well, or just your family? Okay, yeah, I, I got it. I got it. Uh, so, uh, first day, you know, you imagine, yeah, first day, second day, it was really big un-understanding what's going to happen. So everybody couldn't understand what's going to happen. Everybody was worried. And we've been, we, we rent an apartment on the 11th floor of, of the 14th floor building. And it was kind of also risky to be in there because also in my area hit it you know, probably at least 15 rockets and they ruined you know, also like 15 buildings. And you, know, you, you never know when and which rocket will hit your building yeah but it's it's still okay no rocket hit building when i used to live but my wife my wife asked can i just live in your fire station so she she've been living in the first three days she've been living in the apartment at the daytime but when the evening come she come in my fire station and we sleep together in my office with my daughter and with my wife but then she she said maybe I should I, I should stay here I mean let's take something really important from the apartment and let's stay in the fire station and live here together so yeah we decided to do this and I found uh, another place for living not only in my office but like I put uh, another office which we could could use like a little apartment anyway so we've been living here with her but uh, also in the probably in one month the landlady called us and told us that uh, her, um, her, uh, how do you call Rostvinike? Relatives? Relatives. Uh, relatives, yeah. Her, her relatives on North Saltivka lost their apartment and they need to come to, to live to her apartment. And there is probably like 20 people living in three room apartments. Three rooms, it means like kitchen, bathroom and three bedrooms it's like not no guest guest room you know just three rooms when you can leave and it's shit it's very uncomfortable if you can just put put your stuff away from the apartment and let us just let me live in my apartment it would be great so she take us as much time as we need to move away our all our stuff 
So we put everything. Oh, my, my firefighters help us. So uh, elevators didn't work in this time. So my chief, uh, no, higher chief than me, give me permission to take three fire trucks to my apartment. And we, we make a line from the 11th floor and we took all my like fridge, like different stuff, different clothes, put it everything in the fire station. And after this point, we've been just totally living in the fire station with my wife and kids. Oh. Thank you, Roman. Uh, we have a few people with their with their hands up. We actually have two Victorias, both from Ukraine, but uh, we'll go to the one that before Ferlane because uh, two Victorias are just too confusing. Ferlane? Uh, actually, it's not confusing. It's more about Anna's. We have a lot of those. Uh, uh, Roman, thank you so very much for joining us in the panel and thank you for your service. Uh, it's an honor having you here. I was just wondering, uh, since you know that a lot of the equipment is coming from the Western uh, society and from European countries and whatnot. Uh, and we have uh, seen a lot of Ukrainian armed forces personnel undergoing a lot of training. What can you tell about the training being conducted like during the war for firefighters? And do you have some equipment which you should utilize after training? Because it's, it's really hard. And yeah, I've heard about using body armor during the like of fire, firefighting operations. It's absolutely mind-blowing because of the weight. I can only imagine how hard it is to <laughs> aim. Yeah. The fire carrying the, the, the bulletproof waste is just like, it's 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 absolutely uh, like, uh, I, I don't have words for that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, right now we have extra 20 kilograms of weight. I know how much it's 44 pounds probably. I can't quite remember how much it is pounds. Usually fire gear weighs like 30 kilograms. I mean, with a water bottle, with a air balloon on the on your back. But yeah, but we're also used to it. But we didn't have any fire training because we already probably no. You you are doing your job. You just have more job. As that's what I'm talking about. Probably military's got a lot of trainers. They really need it. A lot of experience can be exchanged between the uh, like urban countries. It's good. It's it's amazing. It's it's, it's really great. But we continue to do what we, we, yeah, the training, what we got, it usually was first, first aid, first aid uh, training, mostly for the working with uh, these big traumas, with the, with the mostly stuff like, hello, hello. So, it was training mostly for the helping each other if we will have been injured and injured and uh, to help civilians if they will be injured so we had kind of more training from the military and also uh, like americans who came here from the project project joint guardians they all been the hot spots like afghanistan iraq and the firefighters right now but before they've been they've been the soldiers they've been in iraq afghanistan syria so they showed us really like useful practical ways to help your citizens to help your firefighters even if you don't have like good equipment, it was wonderful experience exchange, but not firefighters training. Yeah, we are training almost every day because you get you, you got a vest like 15, 20 kilograms more. Depends on the which is class of the defense, like force on feet. No, I know, I know, I know what, what to say. Maybe ask something else or something. How many times? How many times did you have secondary um, fires coming in? meaning incoming fire, indirect fire, artillery, whatever, when you were already 
in theater when you're already saving people's lives? How many? I don't know how many a lot. I just nobody counts. I mean, that's my point because many people have observed, have watched the video, have seen things. But uh, often enough, it happens that essentially fire breaks out, there's already an incident, you come on scene, and then yet another attack starts. Yeah, it, it, it happens. No, I, last two months, it's not so. Uh, it's not so much, but like remember, like first month was very tough, and it could be like everybody working in the city center, and there they start to shell in on the north south of Kas. So we need need to split, and some some teams go to the uh, north south of Kas, and then they try to hit few industrial areas. So we need to again split two times to try to save as much as we can and. Don't not make some something worse because industrial area a lot of you know like heavy chemicals a lot of I don't know like oxygen propane acetylene so a lot of very dangerous chemical elements which can blow everything or make uh, poison air or something like that so we that was hard but it, it was mostly for first four months. Right now they like okay. Last week it was last week when they hit in Kharkiv, they hit Halturina Street. There was a uh, when a dormitory probably. There was a dormitory for people. No, I mean like not everybody can afford the normal apartment or house. So some people live in lives in the dormitory when they got a room and the toilet for everybody and the kitchen for everybody. So in this uh, fire on Halturina. The rocket hit. They almost ruined all buildings. So four people we could rescue from the all of this, but uh, 19 people and few kids been dead. And we just extracted them for probably three days. We've been trying to clean out the place. No, but I've been there on the first eight hours to respond. After other days was other volunteers and other guys trying to make the place clean and extract other bodies. And at the same time, after after this during this fire. At 5 a.m. we've been there. We starting to hear very loud shelling and strikes and bombs. We lie down, but it was kind of far away of you, but you never know it could have it could hit nearby you. So we everybody lie down. All firefighters, all police guys, all uh, ambulance workers, just lie down on the ground, cover our heads, and just waiting till this will be over. And like after like 10 minutes of shelling, uh, we. We split. I need to. I, I sent one truck to the one public place on Plehanivska Street nearby the stadium. It was like House of Culture. House of Culture is a place like a theater, but like people there ha- having time, like doing some different shows. I don't know, like stand up comedy or some theater stuff. So they hit this place on Plehanivska Street and the same house of culture what, what bigger one on the katlova street nearby nearby the sports center so there was a kind of three big fires at the same time can i, can Maybe I it's, sorry can please I, let me jump in roman i would love to hear this again did you I, and i and it's it's i'm asking the question i'm i'm on the military side here did you say you you jumped to the ground for 10 minutes is that is that a rough number? Is that a pretty fair, accurate number? Ten minutes of sustained artillery fire. I, it's just how I remember it. Usually yeah. we okay, okay. Listen, like first time you 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 hearing the first uh, strike, right? You fall down because you never know when it when it, when the second one will hit. 
because I, I, I don't know their coordinates, how, how they shall, how they're doing everything. And then you wait. Usually we wait in like for two, three minutes. Like if it's nothing, we stand up and continue to work. But like we are waiting like this one minute, two minutes, and then we 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 are we were about to stand up, but it starts another strike again. So yeah. we continue to lay down. Just so, again, we are waiting one minute again, strike, and like this, we've been yeah. spent on the ground for ten minutes, and then we see. Got it. That's incredible. So the reason why I say that is I want to let the audience know you're in a civilian area, you're in a city, in in the military when we plan attacks on say a russian you know b dead or c dead you know some russian element in a defensive if we're lucky we get two maybe three minutes of artillery fire to suppress the enemy or to fire for effect or to do things that artillery does and that's on a military target and i want people to stop and for a second and realize that here is roman plus everyone in kharkiv they're going to the ground for up to 10 minutes that, that The amount of artillery that the Russians were firing, not at a military target, but at civilian targets, is insane. It's not one artillery shell that, you know, didn't hit the military target and landed in the city. We're talking about an entire city bombarded for minutes, up to 10 minutes, by artillery. And that only has one goal. That's to kill Ukrainians. It's not to, not to attack... A, a Ukrainian military position, 10 minutes. When, when I'm, when I'm, when, you know, in, in army operations courses and staff colleges throughout the West, when you're conducting your attack on, you know, a war game on paper, you're, you're told you, get, you got two minutes. The guns are yours for two minutes. Make it work. And that's it. The Russians are giving their troops 10 minutes to murder children. That is the genocide. These are the war crimes that we need to be cognizant of. Now, I haven't spoken to Roman before. I didn't ask him to say that. I didn't ask him, you know, to bring up... Te- I, I just It just struck me as odd. As soon as he said we were like on the ground for up to 10 minutes, that you can't cut it any other way. Complete and total genocidal Russian behavior. You do not do a fire mission on a city for 10 minutes and, and just kill as many people as you, you don't hit the theater. You don't hit the hospital. That's not, that's not how professional armies behave. That's how war criminals behave. That's how genocidal maniacs, that's what the Nazis did to cities in world war two. Sorry, Roman, I had to interrupt to say that. Go ahead. Sorry. I also want to jump in because they have no problem, not problems. They don't have professional army. I mean, after 2014, yeah, all army before 2014 in Ukraine was regular army. So it means you turn 18 and you're forced to go to the army. And of course, you're not will be very good professional on it. But 2014 makes big changes in our army, in our military. NATO also ha- help us to learn a lot of stuff. So right now it's almost 95 persons of, mili- of military in Ukraine has a contract. So it's their salary, it's their work, it's their jobs, they're professionals. And they know how to operate in Russia. They are not professionals. And they're, you know, really, I, I need to say it, in, 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 there is very big, huge propaganda. As I know, I've also been a, a, a cadet. I know how propaganda goes, like, in the kind of military structure. So you have every, every day you have, like, two lineups, three lineups, four lineups, and your chief telling you different bullshit he have ordered to tell you from the top. And they bullshit in the minds of the young people very good, very, very nice. So they, they become stupid as hell and they just believe everything their government tells them. So it's, but hopefully, why we don't have so big 
shelling like first months. Hopefully, our army push them back just to the Russian border in the like north and east. No, not not on the east, but on the north, on the north uh, direction to the Russian border. Our army just push them to the Russian border, and they cannot use this you know short distance artillery. Like you know, it's like 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 not like this stuff, like this when there's a lot of rockets hits like and covering area like 100 yards or 200 yards, you know, like they cannot use it. It's not enough distance for it. It's very a lot a big distance for them. But what they what they're doing right now, they just um, uh, there is a Russian abbreviate uh, Russian letters for this RCZO. It means like rockets which using reactive rockets of so our system of anti-force system cannot catch them or and which can catch them the rockets cannot use them if you start to use them we will be run run out of our own rockets in three weeks and we will just lost war so it's like very big price we are paying for this but yeah they cannot do like they were doing it before but right now they just uh, selling rockets from Crimea, from the Black Sea, uh, from the uh, Lugansk, from Donetsk, and from the Ru- Russian territory. 100%. Just so you know, um, the, this group's called Maria Report, and we support an organization called MariaAid.org. And I don't know if you know, maybe, Victoria, you can tell them in Ukrainian real quick. Um, the founders are all Canadian uh, officers who trained with the NATO missions, uh, Ukrainian soldiers. I thought that might be interesting to you. Um, just last year and for the last seven years, but uh, some of the key players are the ones that were just there training the Ukrainian military. I hope that makes you smile. Yeah, it's good. It's great. Uh, no, I, uh, Maria has my contact on WhatsApp. I would like to, if somebody interested to help in this kind of stuff. I you know I'm not military, but I have people who is military, my friends, who probably will be glad to have some training or something like that. So, I mean, yeah, probably no, we but... need to be. Victoria, please explain to him in Ukrainian so he knows. Berlin? Oh. Maybe no. other Victoria. Yeah, Victoria, Ferlane. I, I think it would be nice. I think I think you'd, I'd like you to know what company you're in because, um, you know, we're kind of led by people. Um, can someone ping Ferlane or Victoria if you could explain about the Marie Aid connection with the training? If Verlaine can't answer. Are they there? Victoria? We thought we had two Victorias. I'm and, uh... Yeah, we got none Okay, now. doesn't matter. I'm checking. Can you explain, please? Sorry, I uh, I got distracted. Would I have to explain? Can you explain to explain to Roman about the connection with Melanie, the training, NATO? Uh, and I was going to just, because I think you misunderstood. You thought we were offering help. We were trying to explain that it's already happened. Uh, can you explain the name? Ah, I got it. I got it. Okay, I got it. You, you already, or you, okay, yeah, I misunderstood it the first time. So you, I got it. You just, you've done a lot of trainings. And I just, uh, you need to understand, like, I uh, knew, uh, okay, I opened your Twitter account, like, probably three days ago, okay, a few days ago. And I usually don't use Twitter. I just, making posts on Instagram, it, it just uh, goes to my Twitter account. I never uh, just uploading nothing here. I just, no, it's not kind of popular stuff in Ukraine. People here mostly use like WhatsApp, Telegram or Instagram to exchange everything. 
So like, yeah, I just misunderstood you. I got it. Yeah. So you got already a lot of training and a lot of stuff already have yeah. done. And it's really great. Yeah. So, so the, people, the people that we support are actually the colonels who commanded the training missions in Ukraine. And it's great. Yeah, it's incredible. And we, and I, I'm also, uh, you know, uh, coming from the same army as they are uh, and trained Ukrainian officers at different times. So I want you to know that you're, you're, you're in a room full of people that love and respect what you do. And we're in awe. We really are. You, you said earlier, I'm not a kind of a superhero. Well, I think you're wrong. You kind of are because most people don't run into fire fires in the first place. And most people don't run into fires when they're being shelled by genocidal Russians. So uh, I don't want to take that away from you. Like, good on you. And uh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. Anyway, also just probably I, I have already a YouTube channel in Russian when I, I have a fire camera on my helmet. And I have already probably 400 gigabytes of video of just from the war, but I cannot upload it on the uh, on my YouTube channel because it goes through a lot of editing. So some, they just don't give me a chance to show everything like it looks like. So I decided to create a new channel, like an English channel on YouTube. Like maybe I call it like Firefighters Life, or I don't know, like Fire War Ukraine, I don't know, something like that. And just want to upload all this videos from my fire helmet camera on it on this channel but it will be later whenever you do want to do that please let us know we'll promote it in our space and send people your way we really okay. want to do that for you yeah and please do again uh give firefighters life i see 110 people have added you please let's get everyone and retweet it let everyone know we're here give um his story needs to come out uh, in 50 years people will be talking about uh, what roman's been doing firefighters will talk about it um, and people who, who really appreciate what you're doing. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's really wonderful. It's, uh, I don't know if Perlaine is still or not, um, but I just uh, want to she's, you... she's restarting. Uh, she had a yeah. problem with her mic. Perlaine, uh, Victoria Roman was actually one of the translators for one of my colleagues, uh, while she was the, uh, commander of, uh, Canadian forces in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So, um, I just wanted you to, if you want to connect with her, she can share with you more. And I'd like for you to come back whenever you want too, right? I want you to know this is your space to share. Uh, even if you have other firefighters that want to talk or friends, we're interested. As you, as you know, we've been speaking to people from Kharkiv since the beginning. And, uh, and I'll tell you again, no, no one was more shocked than all of us to know how dedicated the firemen and women and the, and the city workers of Kharkiv that kept doing their job when, when most, most normal people might run because they're scared and it's a legitimate fear so we want to thank you yeah. um, that's incredible yeah I got, it. I got it so I'm really clearly understands what you're saying but sometimes maybe you yeah, can be something so you just can just say it in the different words or just a little bit slowly it will be okay it will be solved at all problems sorry no that's okay it's you, fine you it's, guys um, are great now plane is back you guys are great you too. <laughs> we are all great. Ryan. Sure. Uh, thank you for joining us, Roman. Um, I noticed in the documentary, and I'm not sure if you even bothered to watch it, uh, they mentioned that uh, 400 people approximately lived in the Saltivka neighborhood, and they mentioned that many had left. Um, did a bunch of those people leave the city entirely or have they just moved to the western part of the city and into the subways? Um, and are there still people 
uh, sheltering in the subways or have they uh, mostly resumed their daily lives as best they can under relentless Russian bombardment? It's different. It's very different because the first months it was also different because a lot of old people, a lot of people just don't want to leave their houses. And if you will go to the north south of car right now, uh, I mean, north south of car almost have nobody, but there are still people living. You, you've seen this picture of this almost burnt out buildings, right? So we are like collapsed buildings. And you need to imagine there are, there are still like like 10 or 15 people li- living right now in the, in these buildings. You know, they're old. They just don't want to go anyway. They, you know, some old people just afraid that somebody will stole something from the apartment or something like that. But everybody told them it's not important. Just go with us because our mayor already created you know, some kind of camps, some kind of possibility for the people from their north or just on the south of region to go to the other more quiet regions but a lot of no not a lot of some people just refuse it and probably no i just my opinion probably uh, the city council will be shoot to kind of force them to leave before before the winter starts because in this building there is no electricity no water no gas nothing just just a box you know and there are some volunteers still going there and bring them some food some already prepared food or just canned food or water or something like that, but it will be impossible to live there in the winter time, and they will probably need to be forced to by military or by somebody just to go to the safer place. And we still have a first two months or three months, can't remember already, the subway wasn't working, and a lot of people been been there, but when the warmth came with the spring, with the summer, uh, our mayor... Uh, or start again the subway because a lot of people still go into the work. I mean, it's different works. They like, I don't know, like people who making clothes, making food, restaurants, cafe, like different productions. They're still working. People need infrastructure and transport to go to the job. So our our subway is still working, and kind of on of course on heroic parts it's not working, and some people should be still there. And I just don't know how much people already lived the south of Korea region, but from the north, a lot of, of them live, but still some of them still live in there. But mostly like people go going away and some people who has uh, families, like younger, like I mean, sons, daughters, they're trying to also make them more reasonable and ask them to live to the safer place. So some of them go into the, not even the, on the Kharkiv, but on the other cities, uh, to the west Ukraine, to the other countries. So, but I mean, just to result all, all I'm spoken about right now, it's like still some people lives on the north Saltivka, still more people lives on the Saltivka, and still we have some we, we have something to propose them to where to live, but we have this kind of situation like this right now. And I and what I also know, you know from. I will not say from what, which source I have it. Some people, no, I, I have a friend in some service, and he said, no, d- during billing, they, they got the billing so they can check how many people using the telephones, and this is kind of a good indicator of how many people in some area. So this billing station shows like that in Kharkiv right now, 7,000, uh, 700,000 people, but before war it was like kind of 2 million. 
So like almost more than no, almost two two thirds of people leave the city. I think for Lang, yeah. Yeah, so I finished. For Lang? Yeah, sorry guys, I had a Twitter glitch. I apologize. So yeah, uh, how via aid and re-report happened to be. Uh, Operation Unifier and by Canadian Armed Forces in Ukraine has been launched in 2015. So since 2015 to 2022, and actually it was meant to, up, it was prolonged for 2025, Canadian Armed Forces personnel was uh, training and supervising the training of the Armed Forces of Ukraine and different security structures, uh, like overall to help gain interoperability. So, uh, for those of you who are listening in Ukrainian, I will explain in Ukrainian. So, отже, з 2015 року операція Unifier на чолі з представниками Збройних сил Канади приїхала в Україну для того, щоб допомогти з навчанням, здобути взаємосумісністю з силами НАТО. І от я, як перекладач, брала участь у цих навчаннях. І от в нашому просторі, в Мрія Ейд, в Мрія Репорт, є командир 11-ї ротації операції Unifier Мелані Лейк. І от, власне, з бажання допомогти з такої безпорадності в якийсь момент, в лютому-березні, ми всі зібралися, де б хто не був, і почали потрошку докладати свою лепту. І з цього, в принципі, виріс і «Мрія Репорт» простір, і «Мрія Ейд» як організація, яка підтримує не тільки підрозділ, яким ми навчали, але також всіх, хто потребує допомогу різними поставками. І, в принципі, отак от все закрутилося. Тому, that's why I'm going to switch to English, I think, for those of you who are listening in Ukrainian, they got it. So, Overall, we do have representatives of the Operation Unifier coming here to the platform uh, because they have had their share of, like, you know, interactions with Ukrainians, with different uh, units, with different uh, branches and trades, not only in the security services of Ukraine, but overall with the Ukrainians. So they know who, who has the, the priority of needs. So that's how we happen to be. We kind of felt helpless at some point and we felt the urge to do whatever we can wherever we are so and, yeah that's and for brief, Lane, briefly for Lane, also tell tell roman that one of the team members at maria aid actually delivers fire equipment and first aid equipment uh including didn't carl do that in ukraine uh can you speak to that and let uh, roman know I wasn't the part of that procurement, uh, but but no, yes, I I am aware. But I understood. I understood what we talked. Yeah, yeah. We we have we have uh, one of the main helpers, uh, uh, people assisting in Maria Aid, and and comes in Maria Port is actually a retired fire chief. He's uh, done it for fifty years, and what he does is he gets fire departments to donate uh, working equipment, and he's actually shipped through Maria Aid. Uh, fire equipment. Maybe that's something that we can circle back with, and uh, maybe he can help you directly through Maria Aid, because he's, um, you know, fire retired fire uh, captain or chief, uh, and he's uh, he actually before the, the the invasion of Ukraine, he would send stuff to other countries that didn't have any fire equipment, right? So maybe that's interesting. I just thought I'd share that. Yeah, it would be great. Actually, uh, I I remember. Uh, 
the story about the donations, I think, from the British and Canadian firefighters uh, to some of the Western units, Western firefighter units uh, in Ukraine. And there was like uh, some kind of news uh, about distinguishing fire operations. And they were wearing the, the kit, the gear that was donated. And Russian propagandists were like, you see, those are uh, those aren't Ukrainians. Those are like mercenaries. It's like, no, that's just Ukrainians wearing the donated gear, that's all. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Excellent. Thank you for, the, for uh, adding that context. Um, I want to go to Bionade, who's been waiting for like an hour now with his hand up. Bionade? Yeah, thank you. Uh, hello, Roman. Um, I'm a volunteer firefighter in Germany, and I was wondering, um, how is it about the manpower? Um, you need more volunteers, and how to contact and which fire departments um, are yeah, uh, in most need? Um, and how is it in Ukraine? Um, how much percentage, or is it in the bigger cities you have professional firefighters, and in the smaller cities, like on a volunteer base, or how does it work? No, we all all of our fire stations in the big city, in the small city, has a professional firefighters. About volunteers, no, what I can tell, we already working like we had before war. We had four shifts. Right now, we com combined three shifts from the four shifts, and sometimes we go even bigger. We go like like two shifts. It means you have like in two times more people, or like fifty percent more people when we need it, and we can do it very fast, and we can put more 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 trucks on the line. But no, I'm always. Glad when some volunteers came because I'm I'm I'm, I'm telling you it's, it's more about moral. I mean we we have probably enough of people to fight all this, but we n never will reject any help. It's also will be good and unfortunately we still have this centralization style style of run ruling everything. I hope it will change like in the like more urban countries like states, Canada, or like Germany, or like all Europe. Because if you want to go to Ukraine as a volunteer, you should write a letter to the ministry, to our head within the Kiev, and then like said that you want to help, please send us somewhere which we really need it, like to Kharkiv, to some Donetsk region, to Lugansk region, which on the territory which is not occupied right now, something like that. And then we'll, they will decide. Because usually, you know, not a lot of people can speak English well here, and that's probably why all volunteers from Germany, from Canada, from states, uh, the ministry sending to, uh, to to Kharkiv here because it's kind of hot here and and it's it's a big city and a lot of work all the time. And my chiefs in Kharkiv sending almost all these volunteers uh, by by my command here because I can interact with them or just somewhere nearby my fire station so I can also kind of coordinate their work or something something like that. So I know if I answered your question or not, but you are, what I can say, you are always welcome here, but you need to go with like official ways through the key, through the ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a good plan. Um, yeah. Um, I uh, wanted to explain here in Germany, it is like um, you have in the big cities professional firefighters 
and in smaller towns and uh, villages uh, you have like um, yeah um, or also in bigger cities uh, you have like two big fire stations and then you have smaller fire stations which are stocked with volunteers um, who can support and help and yeah make make smaller things like a car crash or something like this um, so I would be interested um, yeah how is the training level um, are these people really well trained and um, yeah um, how it is with the equipment um, you have enough equipment and what is the most needed I can tell probably right now only about Kharkiv and my station because I don't know about how much everybody have in the Kharkiv region but of course probably not probably for sure most of the donations goes to the city to the city stations you know, like but usually this all this equipment all this gear you know, of course it's used and some of it it's kind of old so we even have our own kind of you know, like for the for example some motor pump which you can install on the river and take water from the river we yeah. got you no know, I have the I've been asked to help to transport two of these and one of them is you know, kind of good uh, production it's Magirus production it's from Germany but it's from 1968 and 1972 so they can produce like I don't know like how much five gallons a minute but the weight of it is like 300 kilograms you know like right now I have Hona which weighs 25 kilograms and can produce the same amount of water so I mean, no, like this. Of course, in the regions, the fire stations uh, have less firefighters. Maybe it's good to to go to have volunteers there. But the big problem is that not a lot of people can fluently speak English. And uh, like, I mean, that's the big problem for our chiefs. They're having responsibility for all this. They need everything being in order. They need everything to be right and proper. So they want all volunteers who come in here be like in very comfort conditions so they probably will send it here to the city you know, in, if it's if it's about Kharkiv I mean all volunteers who come here without translator go into my fire station if they got translators they can be set up in our training center we got the training center it's close to my fire station like kind of five kilometers from here so I mean all whole all firefighters all whole Kharkiv city and region so in Kharkiv city and the Kharkiv region, we have uh, about 60 fire stations. So all firefighters from the fire station have a training there, and then they come in to back to their fire stations. So like this, and I also have a volunteer, uh, Jan from Germany. I forgotten which city he was from, but he was a volunteer even in Germany. So he wasn't professional firefighters in Germany. So I know how your system works. And also here was living with me Neil Stahl from Nuremberg. He right now kind of star because I have connected him with some journalists here and they connect him with journalists in the Nuremberg in Germany. So if you will Google his name, you will probably, you will probably see his author or something like this. He'll also try to help even while he's in, in Nuremberg. But he's been living with me here for two months. He's a professional firefighter and he was just like regular kind of like a regular chain in my fire station. So if you all done the same job we done. Yeah. Hey, uh, okay. Roman, thank you for that. Uh, 
uh, our friend from Germany, Roman. Do you think that when the Ukrainian army kicks the Russians out of Kherson and eventually out of all Ukraine, maybe we could do a fundraiser and collect Russian tears to help out the fires? It should be enough. What do you think? <laughs> I just couldn't couldn't get it all. Donate what Russian Russian tires? Tears, tears. Oh, I <laughs> got it. Yeah, it's a good joke. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course we should. <laughs> you should have more than enough to put out all the fires in Ukraine. All right. Sorry, Dome and Axel. I don't know. Did Chef's... Uh, Thank you. Yeah. yeah, we've been uh, joined by Chef Genia, uh, who's actually joining us again in about 21 hours. Uh, but I hope that Chef Genia, who I'm sure Roman's familiar with, uh, wants to talk to a firefighter in the meantime. Genia? Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Yeah, Roma, ты красавчик, тут базара не мало. А ты откуда же? Киева. Ну, сейчас я в Запорожье. Я завтра буду, я в воскресенье буду в Киеве, я американцев в Киев, меня попросили сопроводить в Киев, что я в воскресенье иду утром в Киев, а потом возвращаюсь в Харьков опять. Я сейчас в Запорожье, so I'm in Zaporizhia, I'm gonna switch to English, I'm sorry guys, I just have to say to Roman how awesome he is. Uh, uh, I'm uh, sorry if I'm going to switch to a, a, a little bit more apocalyptic topic here. So uh, the question I have uh, for Roman is um, uh, I'm basically sitting uh, in, in the south of Ukraine right now with uh, just uh, maybe 30 to one hour minute ride uh, from Energodar, uh, nuclear oh. power plant. <laughs> We and, are preparing uh, already for this. Yeah, and uh, I have a question: uh, whether uh, I'm, uh, I'm sure you cannot disclose uh, any sensitive information, but I have uh, the two questions I have is whether or not firefighters uh, of Ukraine amongst themselves are talking about the possibility of uh, nuclear uh, nuclear problem here in the south, and uh, uh, the second question is what would be uh, the scenario if something would happen and if, <laughs> I really because I'm so close to the power plant uh, and I'm working mm. uh, with the special forces here in the south I really hope nothing will happen so if something would happen what would be the proper course of actions uh, and I'm sure so, firefighters would take some action thank you uh, Roman. got it got it so, so your second questions will answer the first one because uh, we have uh, some orders, some directives, what we need to do to prepare if something will happen on this nuclear station. So we already done some, how to call it, precautions or something like that. Also, we created a list of volunteers in whole Ukraine, as I know, who is just ready by his will to go there if something will happen there. So nobody wants second Chernobyl, but if it will happen, who is ready to go without any force and without nothing, you know, like, so we have a list of people who is ready. Also, they ask us in Kharkiv to create this list, but as I know, probably they will not use us because we have a lot of work, like, like here in Kharkiv, mostly they took this list from the other um, regions of Ukraine and uh, of course, while we've been, it was something about five orders which 
we when we read them, we understood it's all about preparations if something will happen on Nergadar station. So that's why, of course, you can imagine how many conversation with firefighters was about it. But I just want to, yeah, they're speaking about it, but not right now anymore. No, I'm trying also make everybody calm down and I don't want to like kind of panic here or something like that. But what I know and just my opinion, what I know from some sources that just Russia just already using this station. I don't know if am I correct or not, but from my information, I know that Russia already, when they captured the station, they just switched the lines and now they are using this power to make electricity for Crimea and for, for Russia. So they switch lines, you know. And also, like, I think, I know, I see this, uh, Putin is really like mad maniac. And I don't know, like, I, I have, I can have, I, I can use a lot of adjectives to describe this, this bullshit person. But you need to be really dumb and stupid to do something with that to make your your citizens your citizens sick and all Ukraine and whole Europe it will be I know biggest probably crime in the in the world history on on purpose to do something like that to whole world so just I not believe something like this can happen I not I not believe that he will hit it or he will do some direct on it to blame Ukraine or somebody or, or some or somebody else I don't know just I just don't believe in it and I just think it will never happen, but we are prepared for this. Thank you. Uh, so uh, I, I know that uh, we all were under the same impression on February 23rd. <laughs> and we thought that nobody was as stupid. No, we were not. not no, we were no, not. No. We, Yehuda yeah. and I definitely were not. I, I, middle I, ages, not, middle ages, not, not anymore. Like, what the fuck? I... Uh, I'm I'm not speaking for for everyone I know, but uh, there was there were a lot of people who thought uh, the same way. I know, Axel. I'm sorry, uh, wrong ch choice of words. But uh, thank you for your answer. I'm I'm sorry to go uh, apocalyptic on, on this conversation. But it's okay. it, it needed no to be. Worries. That's why yeah, I okay. it. Roman, we've been getting it a lot. My people like myself and Axel have been trying to calm people for a while because it's a legitimate concern people have. But really. It's it's it would be an insane level of stupid even for Putin, right? It's too close to his home, and it would affect way too many people. Um, and we just don't see it happening. And I am glad a professional on the ground tells us you're prepared, but common sense says that it's probably not an issue. And I'm glad you've said that. Yeah, I hope it will be like that. Amen. All right, I think Ryan had another question. Um, I noticed that they mentioned the frontline uh, program mentioned that they were there filming in March. Uh, can you tell us roughly how long they were there and how the situation has changed since their filming ended? No, I already told how the situation changed. It's, okay. Um, but no, you mean you? I mean I know what you mean. But they've been living. Oh, they've been living this Patrick Tambola and yes, here Patrick Tambola is a reporter, kind of freelancer reporter, which has a contract with, uh, as I understand, PBS Frontline and uh, UK channel. I can't remember the name of the channel in UK. Uh, oh, four, four channel, channel four in UK. And uh, they've been living in my fire station for probably 
two weeks and they try to make like re real real story video of all the all, of all this and they also while they wasn't in my fire station they know they spent here they've been there from the first day of war when they heard about it they just came here on 24th and maybe 25th of february and they went went away for the movie to, for, no, for editing the movie and make everything with producers probably like like when my wife went to the germany or something this probably two months ago or three months ago so they've been spent here for three months maybe more like like this okay um a follow-up question i had was i noticed in the documentary that they mentioned a lot of the paramedics or the emts had fled mm -hmm. the city so there were um many less people there doing that job than there normally would be. Um, is there a shortage of uh, paramedics or EMTs right now? Or uh, has has the population decreased somewhat, lessened uh, the demand for EMT and paramedic personnel? Uh, I'm not, I do not have the 100% sure information about it because I have a different department and I don't have statistic or something like that, but I can tell you by uh, from my experience of working with them on fires and calls, yeah, their calls are heavy, their calls are huge, you, you know, this mess with the bodies, with everything, it, it can happen, but they, as I see they're working, I see a lot of ambulances here, and thankfully we have, we have kind of different system of ambulances from Canada and United States, you have a big scales you have a big distances. We are like living in, you know, like a lot of people living in one city. So we, a lot of floors, buildings, a lot of apartments inside. So our system works kind of different way. So our system works like our firefighters don't, uh, not the paramedics. So we, we know the basic uh, stuff to save the life on the first minutes, but all, all job doing the paramedics because they come into the calls like in one minute, in two minutes, maybe in, in three minutes after call or already there before us because uh, we changed the system. I can't remember how, how many years ago, maybe eight years ago, maybe something around that, but uh, how it works right now. The Kharkiv city separated like each city in, in, in Ukraine, big city. Uh, separated by regions, so a city like uh, like a like a pizza, no, almost, but of course we're not not really good, uh, not really really good shape pieces of pizza. But I mean, you know what I'm talking about. So yeah, the yeah. city separated by by nine uh, districts. Each district has a station of ambulances, and they are the people who is working on the stations. They are going there for the shift, and then they are spreading on the by the whole regions. So the so dispatch in the room trying to make all ambulances in city spreading very accurate everywhere all over the city. So they in this condition they can come very fast, even faster than us sometimes. We have a similar system of dispatching people so they're ready uh, to respond quickly here. I guess uh, more directly, my question was: Do you have enough people to do that work right now? As I see, like they're still coming to the scene as, as the, the same fast as was before war, 
and during the war it was always like they always run so i see no difference so probably if it was not enough of them i wouldn't see them so, so often but i don't know the, i don't know the numbers man i don't know the numbers but what i know is like yes yeah, there's probably enough and like, not a lot of people just left and a lot of women still who can go to another country but they're still working here because usually we have women on on this uh, on this area because it's not pretty good salary there so some men cannot some men cannot afford them to to work on this uh, low well, salary I, they, I, they... specifically wondering if uh, any volunteer help was needed i noticed in the documentary that uh, many of the uh, emts or paramedics were women and they okay. were relatively small in stature and you were a giant of a man so uh, I, I I'm, a f- I'm, I'm a fat one <laughs> <laughs> you're still a big guy I, I noticed they were having trouble they had you know four or five people to carry someone down the stairs and uh, I, I didn't know if if they had enough personnel to do the job in the peacetime in the peace in the peacetime when they need to move somebody or just transport somebody they used to call us firefighters and we help them with that it was, it was a not big problem but yeah usually they are women and i can tell you this information later because i have a friend in the city council and he is in very good in touch in the in the head of department of the ambulances so i can just ask him today and give you my answer to tomorrow like via whatsapp or something like that. i mean everybody who needs my whatsapp to i know to help somebody somehow i mean or one of some questions to coordinate this help in, in different departments just i know ask about my contact or i can share it right now i just don't want to share it with everybody but yeah i'm speaking um, right now no, we, we we'll have uh, good connections with most of the volunteers here on our space um, I no, Victor, Victoria Lay. I mean, I mean, Victoria Lay has my contact, so I give permission okay. to give my contact to everybody who asks, you know, who, who who needs some information, like for help in the Ukraine. Okay. We'll use Thank your you information sparingly. Don't worry. Hey, Roman. Here's a weird question. It's more about uh, your job on a daily basis. Um, since the war began, would you say the number of calls that you've got for service have gone down? like normal fire calls? Uh, are Ukrainians just paying more attention or is it the same as before plus all the extra bombing? No, of course it's more. I already forgot numbers. I, we had a, we had a, some, my general a month ago asked me to help him with some conference with the San Francisco. There's some foundations there of women firefighters who help in also some kind of foundations they got. And I helped him as I was the same questions, but I forgotten the number, but it's right now during the six months, it's in three times more than it was in the peace time. That's what I remember. Like usually it's like 3000 calls should be for the, I can't remember the, the, the certain number, but usually maybe like 3000 calls for the half of year in Kharkiv, and right now it's like 8,000 calls, 9,000 calls. Романе, тут просто уточнення. Ніхуда швидше мав на увазі, скільки дзвінків, які конкретно пов'язані з побутовими пожежами? Чи збільшились вони, чи люди стали більш уважними до того? Тут це питання. О, о, все, I got it, got it, sorry, sorry for misunderstanding. There is, there is 
very interesting because first for first three months we had no fire like in the peace time and only was one fire for the first three months when the kind of drunk guy is uh, sleep on the couch with a cigarette we took him away and just tell him not to do it in the very rude way so it was like this but uh, right now it's it's became more so but not as as much it was before of course not as much much less it's maybe for six months right now it, it goes uh, right now it's a big big wind and, and big hot so it, it it goes grass fire and forest fire also as well because Kharkiv surrounded by the forests and like some kind of lands so right now we have probably for the last two weeks we have about 15 calls for the grass but before it was maybe I, I don't can't can remember the certain number but maybe like 15 or 20 calls like for the different fires not connected with the shelling or bombing usually it's always shelling or bombing thank you I appreciate it Roman when you did when you had to deal with a lot of buildings with real structural integrity problems, right? Buildings that have had sides of them blown up by shells or grad. Mm -hmm. How do you you maneuver in such buildings? How different is it from, you know, normally when a building is just on fire in peacetime? What precautions do you have to take? What additional, uh, what additional protocols do you have to observe? We don't have any additional protocols. You are just a commander and you need to understand which spot will be safer and which is the safer way to get to this spot. That's all. I mean, yeah, it's more complicated, but you have a brain, you have your eyes, you have experience, so you need to use them to uh, understand what to do. Can, can you give us maybe a, a few examples of, you know, what do you do different? What what what, what different things you have to take take care Look, of? Maybe, you know, one thing that you remember, one a building that you remember. How would you no, treat it differently otherwise? No, usually you stop your car somewhere uh, a little bit farther than you used to. You're trying to take a look. What well, is everything is okay? Everything's fine. You're trying to an- analyze where is the most safe, safer and the closest spot to start the action. And you know, mostly that's all. Of, of course, you trying to understand is it something which not blow blow up is is it and also that what we're doing when we go into the uh, fires we have we have one protocol which also been in order so when we firstly come to the scene we need to understand where we will be hiding if the shelling will start again something like that so firstly we need to understand and tell our crew that hey there is a basement or there is a uh, more safer place of if the shelling uh, starts, we, we go everybody there or you know, something like that. Usually, like as I already said, you have your brains, you have your eyes, so you just realize the situation. You're trying to find the closest spot, which also is the safest spot to your team. Because if something will happen, an accident with your team, who will help? You know, I mean, it's, it will be more problems to the everybody. So that's all. I mean, you, you ask maybe additional question, I will answer you more correctly is there a lot of a risk of falling debris uh, debris is basically what i'm getting at you know bricks or or chunks of concrete falling on you uh, that you wouldn't otherwise encounter 
um, th does this mean that you can't enter certain rooms that if this was yeah. just a fire, you would be able to go into? Yeah, yeah, of course we analyze when we go and that hey, we you know, like you will tell your crew that don't don't go here and also they we we have like kind of you know there is the fire captain and there is a helper of the fire captain. There's um, squad leaders who is helping the fire captain. So the fire captain usually operates two squads and the, each squad has a squad lead squad leader. So they are responsible about safety of people. Also, I am as a fire chief responsible for the uh, safety of people. So of course we. Are, analyze the building, analyze the structure. And this situation you are saying uh, happened like this, like a few days ago, one week ago, can I remember on this Halturina street when we just, I told you like when we lined down 10 minutes, but there was a, you know, the building was uh, well, kind of stable for the two hours while we've been working there. But then just whole wall just fall down and smash the uh, car and another wall started to crash and smashed while we've been working inside and just Americans, these four volunteers from America and my crew and my team and, and my wife chief run away as fast as they can from the building and everything was fine. Nobody been injured by this, but it was yeah, kind of uh, dangerous. But uh, the building looks fine. But of course, when we go to the scene, we're trying to understand what which part can fall down, where is could be some falling down. But brick it's not really important. We have a helmet. Everybody, having all this safety, you know, common safety rules, like in all countries. So, even if if the brick will, will hit my head, I probably will be will, will not be very injured. It will be not pretty comfortable. It's not pretty okay. Maybe it will be painful, but I probably will not have any serious trauma. But for the and of course we're trying to get away people from this scene, so we don't get any civilians without. Well, it could be volunteers wearing the gear, but if somebody without the gear, without the gear, which can guarantee some kind of the safety for them, we nobody will be able to go to nearby the scene. But we are trying to analyze all structural building and understand where can be something like that you're talking about. And your unit, Roman, are you okay for gear? Do you need more air breathing apparatus, anything like that? Or did you say earlier that you're basically fine for... For gear now. No, what you know, what my fire station need right now, and a lot of fire station in Kharkiv, we need hooligans because we almost broken a lot of them during this extracting bodies or just trying to get to something. So hooligans with uh, this X, which you can use to hit the hooligan, also will be very good. Can you, say, can you say that again so our audience understands what it means exactly? No, the hooligan is a wonderful tool. We try to make our own. Uh, I, I have a guy who is working on the, used to work on the on some plant, some factory, which can melt the metal. But of course, we couldn't afford ourselves to make the metal which using in in Holigan because it's titan with uh, different additional materials, which makes it very, uh, very strong, very um, uh, quality. So it will not break in from the each stuff uh, from the work. So we, we use it Holigan. It's I mean you need to Google it to understand how does it look. So it's it's very useful. It has uh, three ends, and each ends is different. You can use it for the different type of job, and each ends also has a some spot which you can hit by the X or the very big hammer. But we used to have axes with the um, another part of X like a hammer. So you you can use X like an X or you can use X like a hammer and it helps a lot. But we already broken all holy guns 
a set which we got already. So this they, they helps a lot. Listen, um, we'll we'll take we'll talk about that offline. We'll ask Carl if they have extra of those. Another question in general. Yeah, gloss is also gloss just uh, tearing apart after probably three, four serious calls. Even good quality gloss from the America or from the Germany. Uh, also boots boots is boots is very big problem because we all have used boots from the donations and some of them donated only because they are not fit right. I mean, you you taking the left foot. It's wonderful. It's great. Awesome. You taking the you taking the right boot on, on on your feet on your foot, and it's some pain in your big thumb on the on the leg. So it means it doesn't fit right. It's it's no. It's it's the same pair, but something wrong with the right one, and we don't have normal sizes. So I have a size of of my leg like 11.5 in Ukraine, and it's 46. So I have no problem with it. It's been donated a lot of a lot of it by the guys who has a smaller legs, like regular size, like 42, 43, 44, 41. Uh, they just, we, we don't have enough normal, you know, like I don't say about new, but even used boots to wear for them. Also fire clothes. Uh, I, I had uh, used already probably, you no know, two of my fire clothes, fire gear already. You no, know, I cannot use it anymore. I just, I'm, I'm very thankful to Brian Hills from Florida, Palm Beach, he just, I don't know, he just find me on the internet, on Instagram, and he sent me, he, it was very hard for me to find my size fire gear, and he found it in the Florida somewhere, he also working in the fire station, so he sent me a whole set of fire gear just by my size, and I'm just wearing full United States for fire gear, and it works awesome, works great, but also after first fire, uh, my boots was <laughs> ruined. I don't know why, probably some defect was, but anyway. Boots, fire clothes, helmets fine, but boots, fire clothes, fire gloves, and hooligans would be really good. Uh, you know what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll I'm going to connect with the Maria A team and Carl, the fire fireman from there, and maybe we can do a little fun drive, fundraiser for you online the next time you come in. We'll prepare it, and uh, we'll get the sizes, and you'll give us some of the information, and we'll see if we can't uh, drum up some funds to, to help you out there. No no promises. I think we can. I think we might even have a lot of that in stock, believe it or not. So I will reach out to you, Roman. Thank you for that. Okay. Um, just a weird number to ask. If you can't say it, that's fine. But can you tell us percentage-wise how many buildings in Kharkiv have been damaged by fire or destroyed and fires from, um, from shells as well? Are we talking 20% of the city, 50%? Can you give us any insight there? I just can't give you the certain number, I just can tell you it's a lot. I mean, not just, I don't know, something, not just last two months, Kharkiv has like 15, 20 hits a day. And each hit is ruining something. So I don't, you know, I can't tell you the certain number of the buildings. It's a lot. I, I even don't know the certain number, but it's it's huge. I mean, North Saltivka almost all ruined. Saltivka... Which is more more southern, also ruined a lot. A lot of almost all, all, all industry area also been ru ruined very much. A lot of production been ruined, but in and different different spots on the city each day also like have a lot of damage. So I just can't I, I cannot give you the certain number because I just don't know it. Right. Now, uh, just a silly question. I, I don't mean it, but all of those targets that were hit, uh, they're, right beside, they're military bases, right? 
<laughs> no. No. Is it fair to say it's completely indiscriminate? Indiscriminate meaning, you know, uh, there's no there's no planning. It's just they're 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 literally launching rockets and artillery into a civilian city, like a, a civilian area. Yes. Okay, I can I I can tell you one stuff. I've just uh, I've been I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but I just I don't see any problem in it. But there was a hotel nearby my fire station, and in this hotel, probably two months ago, been some uh, militaries just been probably doing weekend there just for two weeks. It was like probably ten of them or something like that. It was just they've been living in the hotel for two for two days. And just, I know, it's time passed, they're not here anymore, they're not there, just nobody was there, just civilians there, just some volunteers living there, some just, just civilian guys living there, usually volunteers. And just two weeks ago, the rocket hit was just nearby the, the hotel, they missed hotel. There was a, the rocket hit the ground probably 10 meters away, but... Uh, building opposite, it was a 14 floor, uh, nine floor building opposite the hotel. It was all all windows in all apartments was just smashed, and it was a trolley buses which was nearby also smashed by sh shrapnels and the and the and the wave out the rocket and and the mother-in-law of the owner of this hotel was in very big shock, so the ambulance took her. So like. They they probably maybe have from somebody information that some military was there, but it it was two months ago, so I don't know what they have like a list of some old coordinates and just doing it like a like a you know like office which making cold calls from India, like you know maybe some Indians already making these coordinates. I don't I don't know. I just I'm just kidding, but yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I bet you it's just indiscriminate. They're just launching it willy nilly. It sounds like. No, I've been I've been working in the call, in in the call cold call center. I mean, I, I have used to to work this, and some Indian guy to also been working with me. And he said, "Oh, we have a lot of like cold call center in India, so we are operating with the states with the other countries." And usually, how we work in cold calls, you have a, a list of customers, and you need to call each customer after customer after customer. So I just make this um, example because like maybe like they have some kind of old information, they don't check it, they just uh, don't don't uh, give a they don't don't care about indiscriminate indiscriminate fire that's yeah. what we call it yeah yeah sorry right. Roman you. when you're responding to calls how much of a problem have unexploded shells unexploded rockets unexploded ordnance been and how uh, often do you encounter it what I just very uh, good seen one just what I've seen. Because usually they they are after the building already collapsed, you can't see anything there. Of course, you check and maybe something around. But there was very interesting also, like not far away from my station, the rocket just very. I, I have a I have a photo of it. I will just I know just please I, I will just sign, I, will, I will make a note to send this photo. Rocket in apartment like. There was a rocket hit the balcony on the first floor and it did not explode. There was a rocket, I don't know, like size of, uh, you know, this little car, like smart, you know. So this, like this tall, I mean, I don't know how much, like two, two meters long uh, rocket, like very fat. And the fuel tank was separated from the rocket and also been in the apartment. 
but the rocket was just totally fine. They just did not explode. So it's just what I've seen. And, but it was also a big mess, but we, we just very clearly seen the rocket. But other calls, like you, you, you can't see the rocket. It's just very deep in the ground or, or, or it's very deep already under the uh, pieces of the building. Thank you very much, Roman. Thank you for all your answers. Um, let's go to Ben and then to Ryan, and then and if you know if you need to go, we'll, we'll let you go. No worries. Uh, ben, go ahead. Roman, got a question mm-hmm. for you. The area I work in sometimes it feels like a war zone here, and the wear and tear on the apparatus, the engine companies, ladder companies, uh, rescue companies is tremendous. How are your vehicles holding up to the uh, wear and tear? Okay, I got it. So we are uh, repairing vehicles by ourselves usually, and it was before war as well. But some are vehicles brand new, by made by Ukrainian company Pozhmashina, and some of these vehicles, this company still trying to fix by by their during their service centers. But when we are talking about the old ones. When we were talking about the old ones trucks, we just uh, asking our fire department to find us the car parts, and they bring us the car parts, and we are making almost all repairment, like engine, uh, and I mean like engine for water, en- engine for truck. Like we are doing all repairs by ourselves, and we are we are fine. I mean we are, have a lot of the donations of the car parts, so we almost refreshed all parts in our trucks. So we are working like a Swiss clocks. Excellent. Stay, stay safe, all right? Yeah, thank yeah. you so much, man. Thank you, bro. It's terrorism. They're they're trying to scare the population away from the city because they want to steal it. Sorry. That's okay. You can swear here as much as you like about that. Okay. I, if needed, I can translate that. <laughs> you can do that in the background if if it can't be uh, made public. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm joking. Like I can, but I will. I here do it. No, that not spaces, but like in my soul, within my soul, I definitely am doing the translation. And we all agree with that. Uh, I just think everybody understands what I said. Just, you can choose any, can any the most swearing world in the world. <laughs> think, yeah, like for, for this it. for this half a year, I think like uh, Roman. I I just wanted to tell you that it's like just so personal for me that um for those who don't know, I'm originally from Donbass, but I was born in Kharkiv, and it's a very special place for me. And just seeing what Russians do to the city. You know, killing innocent people and destroying infrastructure, and just it just breaks my heart. And but I know that Ukraine will win, and it will win because of people like you. You're a hero, and I know I told you this before, but I'm gonna tell you again. You are here. Thank you so much for what you do, and please stay safe. And uh, if you ever wanna come back to our space, just join it. Or you can just text me, and I will let the team know that you're coming, so we can expect you. And thank you so much again. Got it, and thank you so much for all your words and about about the, our beautiness of the Kharkiv. We all think and we all know like Kharkiv is really 
I think it's the most beautiful city in Ukraine. And what I can't understand, why the Russians bombing and shelling our parks. We have beautiful parks in almost each district in Kharkiv, a lot of them, urban parks for the kids, for the skaters, for the rollers, for the basketball players. We have a wonderful Shevchenko park. We have a wonderful Gorky park. It's like our little Disneyland in, in Kharkiv. And they are some way shelling this beautiness, which we spent a lot of money from our taxes to do it. Oh my God, I just can't understand it. Well, they want to destroy culture and they want to destroy children and women. And that's why they do exactly what they do. Uh, foreigners have uh, studied the Ukrainian uh, like, uh, swearing so much that they've been using it for a while. Uh, it, it's also interesting, you know, it's always interesting because what is Russian propaganda about, like before war and when the war started, like about this Russian language in Kharkiv? Yeah, mostly all, almost all population in Kharkiv speaks Russian, but we never been kind of, I, I don't know, like from government or from other people, we never been kind of suffering from it. Nobody tells me it's nothing. I mean, I'm a civil servant. I'm a, working on the government and I have a Russian YouTube channel, which uh, agreed. No, I mean, I have a YouTube channel, which I'm running by Russian language and it's, it's agreed with my department, with the ministry. So everybody understand it. So, if, and their propaganda say all oh, the Russian speakers are suffering there. Yeah, maybe some one person from the a million somewhere in the like uh, West Ukraine will say, oh, you need to speak Ukrainian. Yeah, and understand. I can. I fluently speak in Ukrainian. I fluently speak Russian. I hope I will fluently speak in English better than I am right now. But I mean, we never had this problem, and we never hated Russians before 2014. But even even after 2014, there were some people who hated, right? But not like whole Ukraine. Some people just didn't understand what's going on. But when this all happened, the Russia makes us just hate them. I don't know why. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this situation. Like, hey, like war started here. Hey, probably there is families in the Russia who didn't want a war, who don't want a war. And like we are, everybody just want us, you know, like, you know, like normal life and you can understand what will be in the future tomorrow after tomorrow in the year like this but after all this propaganda and i see and i hear this interview from moscow from other the cities and i see just people don't care people don't understand what's going on they you know, and all this shell and all the bombing when you see this bodies corpses i mean russia makes us hate them they call us nazi nazi they made everything like nazi they made everything totally they the 100% the same like Germans, uh, like uh, like a Hitler, like a fascism did, not Germans, sorry, like, I mean, like a Hitler and his Nazi stuff did the same. And we never done, we, we always thought this kind of brother country, which we fight uh, together with. But right now, everyone hates a lot of just a lot of Russian speakers in Kharkiv just refuse to speak Russian just because they don't want to speak the Russian of enemy because they don't want to speak. Russian uh, because they don't want to speak language or speak something like that they describe it and I mean the Russia done it and right now they, they can use it in their propaganda of course but before it was no no problems with the Russian language here there was no problems with anything here I mean before they came in yeah I can I can add to this that you can just go to another city you can go to the West or you could go to Kiev and those people who spoke Russian and did not speak Ukrainian well, 
they were just able to communicate in Russian language while um, people would just respond Ukrainian back. And we understand each other. And we just understand each other. I mean, every Russian speaker understands Ukrainian language here. Every Ukrainian speaker understands Russians. I mean, we can communicate. Yeah, maybe it's, it's, it sounds weird uh, and uh, for the foreigners, like two different two people speak different languages and understand each other. It's like, I don't know, like French will speak to some, what's familiar to French, I don't know. Like, I, I, okay, I, I can't compare the languages, but anyway. Well, okay, like Portugal will speak to the Spanish and they will understand to each other. It's like, it's kind of it sounds and looks weird, but it works here. I mean, it's always work, but their propaganda is, oh my God, I just, they're spending a lot of money, billions of money of their tax players for making bullshit news and the people don't understand it. I mean, oh my, they already cursed probably. I mean, they don't see the truth. They don't see nothing. All righty, Roman. Thank you very much for joining us today. I hope that in the coming days you'll get a, a few hours of good kip and rest as every firefighter needs in between. We hope that um, we can provide you with uh, additional input from our end and uh, Victoria will connect you to each and every one who is relevant. So maybe we can galvanize more support for the magnificent effort you and your colleagues have been mounting in Kharkiv. And um, let's hope that the next time when we can speak to you, you can provide us better news and hopefully fewer uh, missile and artillery-induced fires. It's an absolute uh-huh. pleasure having you with us. I, I just, okay, I, I got it. Also, I also need to go. And I want to thank you all about this conversation. I like it really so much. It's also nice to speak. It, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of hard to, to remember in all this. I, probably I, I don't like to remember in a lot of stuff, but it's, I understand it's really important to remember it. You know, you know what I mean? But what I'm trying to say, it really was a pleasure for me to speak with you. And I, when I will be able and when I, really have a possibility to be have, have time i will be always glad to be but all i want to ask if you have this kind of questions from some uh, people who wants to know the certain numbers of something please make kind of these questions before our conversation so i can like one day before so i can ask some people who are in charge of these questions much better than me okay and that's all. That's that's a very good point, and we will uh, heed to that advice. Uh, next time you come by, and you're always welcome. Whenever you have a moment and you like to drop by, we're here twenty four seven, as you know. And um, this is essentially the home for all of those who defend Ukraine. So you're very welcome. And uh, if we schedule the, the next, uh, say, segment, then we'll make sure that we have those questions prepared before and to make it a little bit easier for you as well. Thank you very much, Jaku. Thank you so much for you all. So Tell your daughter to keep studying her English. I know she hates it. <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> That's it. Thank you very much. Right, Everybody, give a, give a big hand to Roman. Oh, wow. There's a lot of emojis. Wow, I just noticed it. <laughs> Як там тихої і скучної ночі, я сподіваюся. Дякую, дякую. До зустрічі. Бережіть себе.